Friday. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. Headline, EP. Angry over 2020 ballot deal. North Carolina Republicans vote to limit AG. The Attorney General. Yeah. Um, Final approval came for legislation that would limit Democratic Attorney General, and all Attorney Generals actually, Josh Stein's ability to enter future legal settlements. I would add, in specific circumstances. It's a party-line House vote. The 2020 uh, settlement deal that Josh Stein entered into uh, with plaintiffs that, oh, by the way, happened to be um, affiliated with big labor. And, oh, by the way, those plaintiffs had Josh Stein speak at their convention there as a keynote speaker, like about a year prior or so. (laughs) There's nothing to see there, though. Oh, and also the lawyer representing them was, uh, if I remember correctly, it was the uh, Mark Elias, the Democrat super lawyer. That guy who sues North Carolina like every other day, who also, by the way, happened to be the lawyer for Roy Cooper when Roy Cooper was challenging the results uh, and checking on the ballots and making sure everything was all kosher. Don't call it rigged. Do not do not undermine confidence in our election. How dare you do such an insurrectionist? Roy Cooper uh, used Mark Elias as his attorney when he barely beat Pat McCrory in 2016 um, by like, was it 0.1% of the votes or something? Mark Elias, the guy who represents Eric Holder in the redistricting committee, and Mark Elias, the guy that acted as basically the cutout for the Steele dossier, or his law firm did, I should say, Perkins Coie, that Mark Elias, that Mark Elias. And um, we are to believe that despite all of these connections, that the attorney general had with the plaintiffs and with the lawyer and um, and the judge in the case, because the judge in the case that approved the settlement to change our election laws while we were voting, while we were voting in 2020, uh, that the judge was the judge who also issued the ridiculous ruling that the legislature was a usurper legislature because the redistricting maps that they had won their majority under, had been challenged, and had to be redrawn. And so his argument was, essentially, nothing they have done uh, is legit. They're a usurper legislative body. This was the argument put forth by the North Carolina NAACP. It was essentially laughed out of every single courtroom except the one judge, the one judge who did this deal, who, who signed off on this collusive settlement because that's what it was what was the settlement about it was during the election and it changed our voting laws now the board of elections people and the elections director karen brinson bell they will be quick to point out we did not change any of the laws we simply changed a rule or two rules are not laws you see rules are different despite the fact that when you look up the word law in the dictionary term rules <laughs> appears doesn't matter they are not synonymous when discussing the very key distinction in what the board of elections did which is they took the law that said here are the rules 
and they changed the rules. They didn't change the law. They simply changed the part of the law that said these are the rules, which are not the law, don't you see? It's very, I know it's very technical. I'm, I'm going way into the weeds on this, but um, they changed the rule. What were the rules that they changed? Well, the law said, sorry, the rule said you got three days of a grace period to get your absentee ballots into the Board of Elections. Three days. This is the postmark law, which, by the way, contrary to what the left will have you believe, uh, is a pretty recent development that got changed like about 20 years ago. Before that, you had to have the postmark by like, I want to say it was like the Monday Something like the Monday prior to or the second or, or like or the because Election Day is the Tuesday. So it's not like the first Monday prior to it's the Monday before that, like two weeks prior. You had to have it postmarked, something like that. And that's what the law was. But it has changed over the course of time. So when you're doing an absentee ballot, you have to have it delivered to the Board of Elections within three days of the election. And it has to be postmarked by Election Day. That was what the law was. Sorry, the rule was. That was the rule as written in the law. So the elections director, Karen Brinson-Bell, was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, we got a pandemic. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I need to do, do a whole bunch of things. And so she went to the legislature and was like, hey, you guys need to change all these rules and you need to make them say what I want them to say. And part of it was to give a longer grace period. And by the way, this is also connected to the Blue Anon. Conspiracy theorists. These are the people that were running around hysterical that the postmaster general was trying to uh, rig the election for Donald Trump. Remember that they they, they were accusing, uh, is it Louis DeJoy, the the postmaster general? They were accusing him of like running around stealing all the mailboxes, locking them all up, uh, ripping out a bunch of mail processing and sorting machines and all this stuff. Now, um, you know, all of the, the things that were occurring were put into motion long before the pandemic. And the whole point that DeJoy was brought in, because he was a logistics guy, he ran like a, where did he come out of? Was it DHL or something like that? I forget. But he was a logistics guy, which is really important in creating an efficient system where you're delivering, you know, Millions and millions of pieces of mail, especially as like, and I actually interviewed an expert on the postal service. Yeah, this was like his one window in time when he would be relevant. And then like, nobody cares what he has to say for like the rest of his life. But for this one week, everybody wanted to talk to this guy, including me. And so I was asking him, he was like, look, they're pulling out the sorting machines because they don't use them because the sorting machines sort what letters. And guess what? We don't do anymore. We don't write letters. We don't send letters. We don't get letters. If you get an envelope in the mail, chances are it immediately goes into the garbage, right? So it has an old and inefficient, outdated system that needs to be updated. And so that's what DeJoy was doing. The pandemic hits. And now all of a sudden, this is proof that he's trying to prevent absentee ballots from being sorted and delivered on time. The Postal Service is now delivering way more packages, and it was not designed, their whole operation was not designed to deliver boxes. Amazon, yes. You know, uh, UPS, FedEx, DHL, like, yes, they, they're designed to deliver boxes, packages, but not the Postal Service. They were about letters. And, uh, and those, uh, 
those Valpak things that show up like every six weeks or so. So the North Carolina Attorney General representing the state in a lawsuit, defending the state in a lawsuit brought by a Democratic organization. It was a, it's a union. It's like the retiree uh, organization for like the AFL-CIO. And uh, th- this organization had Josh Stein, the Attorney General, speak at one of its uh, recent conventions. He was the keynote speaker. And so he's he's now on the other side of the the courtroom from this organization, right? But they're all Democrats and they're, and they're trying to get the rules of the last election, 2020 changed after voting has already begun. Remember, we've already started doing the absentee balloting and all that. And so this lawsuit is, is they judge shopped it. They got the right judge and um, the attorney general representing the board of elections and the board of elections who had uh, the director had gone to the general assembly and said, I want to change the rules to, uh, to extend the grace period from three days to nine days. So we have longer to get all of the ballots in because, you know, Trump's postmaster general is trying to prevent people from voting, whatever. And we got a lot more people voting absentee ballots, so we're going to need way more time. The post office needs way more time because the post office said, hey, you guys are telling everybody, you know, vote absentee, just a heads up, like, like, we didn't hire any extra people for this, so you might want to tell people, get their votes in early. Like, literally, the post office told the Board of Elections, let everybody know to vote early. And the Board of Elections and the Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, they turned around and, and said, oh, my gosh, they're trying to prevent people from voting. That's why we call it Blue Anon, like QAnon, but for the left. And these stories got mainstreamed because that's the... It's one of the benefits of being a leftist in modern America is that your crazy conspiracy theories become acceptable to mainstream media outlets, as that one did. So uh, you got the lawsuit and Josh Stein says, hey, we're going to have to settle. We should settle because we got all these other lawsuits and the elections going on. And like, I think we're totally going to lose. So um, we should we, we should just do what they say. So they cut a deal. They cut a deal with the plaintiffs who, again, these are all Democrats. This is like hot Democrat-on-Democrat action here. They're all working towards the same goal, the very thing. It's amazing how uh, how the plaintiff's desires totally aligned with the desires of the Board of Elections director, Karen Brinson Bell, who had sought the very same things from the General Assembly. The General Assembly said, we're not going to give you all of that stuff. They reached a bipartisan deal and uh, they changed the laws. And uh, like one of the things they did was to say, okay, instead of doing the two witnesses for absentee ballots, how about we're going to do one? We'll do one absentee ballot witness because the pandemic, right? So they, they changed that law just for this, for the 2020 election. Um, the collusive settlement that the plaintiffs got from the attorney general also undid that they all they, they stripped away essentially they stripped away the uh the witness requirement because they said if you can't get a witness you just sign that says i'm totally this person that's what they did and the general assembly was not informed of this settlement nor were they asked to sign off on it and they were a listed defendant in the case and that's wrong like that is just wrong if 
You've got two people, two entities being sued by a plaintiff. One of those entities should not be able to force the other to accept the settlement agreement. Now, if the you know board of elections, whatever, that like if they wanted to settle, okay, fine, settle with the stuff that you can settle with, but you don't get to settle and change the law and force the the general assembly to accept it. And the general assembly then fired Attorney General Josh Stein off of this case too. They've now passed a law that goes to Governor Cooper where he will probably veto it, but um, this now goes to Cooper, and this would prohibit these kinds of settlements from being entered into without the approval of the legislative body. And this, this is logical. It's right. It makes sense. It's the right thing. It's the right policy. So, of course, it's probably going to get a, a veto. The AP reporting that Cooper's office did not immediately respond to a request for comment on the measure. However, a veto is likely, especially given that Cooper served as attorney general for 16 years and because the bill attempts to erode the attorney general's powers while representing state agencies in court. Right. Not because politics, of course not. No, 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 no. I mean, these are Democrats. They never engage in politics. They're never motivated by politics. So it's it just, you know. Preservation of uh, the attorney general's power. That's all. It's it's a this is more of a philosophical kind of uh, an argument, if you will. It's a legal principled argument that they're making has nothing to do with politics. Republicans, on the other hand, totally political here. Totally political. (laughs) This is this is the lens through which all stories tend to be told, particularly when it comes to the North Carolina legislature. If you haven't noticed it by now, you should from now on. There's this assumption that Democrats act out of apolitical, nonpartisan motivation. They're simply just trying to make it easier for people to vote. That's all. We we just recognize there's a pandemic, and that's why we need to give an extra uh, six days for a grace period. By the way, you know what those six days were used for and the postmark uh, provision was used for? Well— Remember the chief justice race between the incumbent Democrat, Sherry Beasley, and Paul Newby, the Republican challenger, and Newby won that race by like 400 votes or something. When they were, uh, when they were arguing in court, they, the Sherry Beasley campaign, they said, uh, don't worry about missing postmarks because if it arrived within the time period after the election day, then obviously it had to have been sent before election day. So they were actually arguing to ignore the postmarks. See, like, this is how you till the field before the counting of the ballots in order to make your best case, harvest your best crop, if you will, when you go to litigation in the ballot counting process after election day. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The Beat Calendar Shoe. Um... Dallas Woodhouse writing over at, well, this is the Woodshed, uh, but it's at the Carolina Journal and uh, the John Locke Foundation. He writes about, uh, it would be an astonishing and unprecedented power grab that will overturn 200 years of case law and prior precedents. Democrats on the state Supreme Court are preparing to disqualify and remove two duly elected Republican Supreme Court justices from a case So the Democrats can nullify voters' decision to amend the Constitution. 
So what is this all about? Let's bring on Troy Shelton. He is an associate attorney at Fox Rothschild uh, Law Firm. Welcome to the program. Troy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks Good. for having me on, Pete. Sure, sure. So um, why don't we go over and uh, sort of start at the beginning. Who are the two judges, these Republican judges, and uh, and then what's the case about? So it might be helpful to answer the, the second question first. So the, the underlying case here is what people often call the, have been calling the usurper case. The idea is that because the federal court said that some of the state legislative districts were declared racial gerrymanders, uh, that meant that the General Assembly lost its power to propose amendments to our state constitution. Uh, so that, that, that's, a, that's a really extreme legal theory. And it's sort of been tried a few times over the past century or so in different courts, and it's, it's always lost. No one's ever agreed with that. But the, the trial court in this case agreed with that legal theory, said that you know, these constitutional amendments, the ones that are being attacked here by the NAACP are the voter ID and income tax cap uh, amendments, uh, said that you know, challenging those as being unconstitutional um, essentially in themselves. And anyway, so the, the trial court agreed with that theory, and then the Court of Appeals reversed, uh, saying, no, no, rejecting the theory, and now the case is before the North Carolina Supreme Court. Right. So this I did. Uh, we were covering some of this before we brought you on the usurper case. Um, and this is one dr- uh, judge, right? You, you said the trial court decided this, but like that's that's one judge. That's yeah. one judge. Right. That lo- right. That's lawyer talk for a single judge. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just one. That, that's exactly right. You know, there was a three judge panel up at the Court of Appeals that reversed. Um, but uh, and now it's up at the, the Supreme Court, uh, of course. And, you know, I'm sure your listeners probably know that our Supreme Court right now is composed of four Democrats and three Republicans, you know, because, you know, how politically contentious the case is, it's being watched really closely because of that lineup. So the two judges that are being targeted for this recusal or removal? So so the, the two judges, or the two justices, rather, are Justice Phil Berger, who is the, the son of Senator uh, 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 Pro Tem of the Senate, Berger, uh, and Justice Tamara Berenger, both of which uh, joined the court as Republicans uh, in, 20, in the 2020 election. And Berenger's a former state lawmaker as well, correct? I think if I remember correctly. Th- that's right. So the, the recusal theory for Berenger is that she should recuse because she actually voted in the legislature um, to propose these constitutional amendments. And the theory for, for Justice Berger is that, well, formally his, his dad is named as a defendant because by state law, the House, Speaker of the House and the uh, Speaker, uh, the President Pro Tem of the Senate have to be named on all constitutional challenges. But it's, re- it's not really a lawsuit against Senator Berger. It's, a, it's really an, a lawsuit against his office. I mean, it, it, he just happens to be the person holding that office. So they're not making any kind of an argument that it's his dad and his dad spoke in favor of these pieces of legislation and he voted for it as well? Yeah, absolutely not. The idea is that they're related. But, I mean, it just, you know, and I get that to non-lawyers that might look weird, but this is what we call an official capacity suit. It's it's just a lawsuit against his office. Senator Berger doesn't have any personal stake uh, in this case. He doesn't have a financial interest or anything like that. Um, so there's really no reason, you know, so Justice Berger, his son, really has no, 
he doesn't have any bias in the case just because his dad's named in that kind of official capacity way. So is there any case law about this? Dallas Woodhouse says that this is unprecedented. Is there any kind of guidance from uh, precedent that would say that the, this is the way that the judges should rule? Yeah, so there's actually there are actually a lot of cases that address both of these situations. No, wow, that's helpful. Uh, it is helpful. <laughs> uh, you know, for, for the, the official capacity cases, there's a lot of cases, both federal and state, saying, you know, an official capacity case, there's really, you know, it doesn't matter if you're friends with the defendant, you know, because it's not really that person uh, that, that, that's being sued. So there's no need to recuse in that situation. It's also a really long line of cases where legislators then, you know, become judges, and then a case involves some piece of legislation that they voted on, just like in this case. Uh, and uh, they say, you know, you know, that's not good for the, the judicial system, you know, to essentially preclude legislators from taking the bench in that way. So long line of cases saying that there's no reason for, for Justice Berenger to recuse either. Mm-hmm. So this has now prompted, apparently, the Democratic members on the state Supreme Court to try to force the two Republicans out of the case? So I think that's, that's what's up in the air. I think what pe- has people alarmed is, who is it that's going to decide the, these recusal motions? Is it going to be Justices Berenger and Berger going to decide for themselves whether to recuse? Or is it essentially going to be the Democratic majority that, that might force them to recuse? Now, now, normally, when when someone asks one of the justices to recuse, it, that justice being asked to recuse decides for himself or herself whether she's going to do that. Um, and based on my conversations with some previous Supreme Court justices and my own experience and research, that that's the case. They normally decide for themselves. And the only time I could find an exception to that was when the person being targeted didn't want to decide for themselves, and they let the, the rest of the court decide it. And that's, of course, also how the the U.S. Supreme Court works. The justices decide for themselves whether to recuse. Right, because doesn't it kind of rest on a fundamental idea that the judges are always acting impartially by the law, and so their past experience shouldn't be of um, of concern, right? Because if you trust me to act impartially on all these other things, why do you think I would act impartially on, on this? So no, I'm not going to recuse. Or they say, yeah, I could not divorce myself from this, so I'm, I'm going to say no. It's like you're trusting their judgment, which is the whole point of having a judge. That's exactly right. That's 100% correct. So um, this is unprecedented if these Democrats try to force them uh, to recuse themselves. Now, I, I am kind of curious what happens, uh, how that plays out. I don't think there's a process for that, but uh, why do they even need to do this? They've got a 4-3 majority. I think that... I think that this motion that's been filed by the NAACP shows that they're not confident that they can actually get all four members, uh, all four of the Democratic members of, of the court to actually go along with their theory. And I think that that's, that's probably true. I think that there's a good chance that all the Republicans will vote against the usurper theory and that there's a good chance that at least one Democratic justice on our Supreme Court would would say that, that this theory is just a little too fringe for me and and say no. So, you know, they, their odds are better, right, if uh, the NAACP's odds are better if, if they have two of the Republicans recuse. Interesting. Troy Shelton, Associate Attorney at Fox Rothschild. Um, thanks so much for your time and your insight. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Thanks, Pete. All right. Take care. Uh, head on over now to Boomer Von Cannon for his expertise and his insight on traffic. 
By the way, September is Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month. And at the end of the month, September 30th, we're going to be doing our second annual WBT Little Heroes Blood Drive. Come on down to the Community Matters Cafe. Grab a bite to eat, cup of coffee. You could donate blood or platelets at the One Blood Big Red Bus. And while you're there, get something to eat, cup of coffee, whatever. Uh, get a beverage at the Community Matters Cafe. And that supports uh, the work. It's life-changing work that's being done at the Charlotte Rescue Mission. 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. September 30th. Make your appointment. Go to WBT.com slash events for all the details and directions. Uh, all right, so Dallas Woodhouse, I uh, should point out, former executive director of the North Carolina GOP. He now works over at the John Locke Foundation. And uh, he used to be in media. He used to be a reporter. Uh, and he's kind of getting back to his roots. He's gotten a couple of uh, scoops since he's been back at the John Locke Foundation writing at Carolina Journal. Uh, this one was uh, about the state Supreme Court. And how they're trying to, these uh, Democratic justices are trying to get two Republican judges, Phil Berger Jr. and Tamara Berenger, to get them tossed off of the case that is being brought by the NAACP, which is challenging the voter ID constitutional amendment that we all passed by like a landslide, right, to change our Constitution, to make voter ID part of the Constitution, as well as the cap on the income tax, we changed that from 10% back down to 7%. And a lot of people in the uh, the media and the Democrats, but I repeat myself, they, uh, they did not realize that the state constitution actually had a lower income tax rate set years and years ago. And this was basically bringing it back down closer to what it originally was. But Democrats were like, well, we might need to take a whole bunch of money from people in the future. You really can't limit us to do that. And voters said, no, pound sand, we will. You don't get to go all the way to 10% on a personal income tax, which, by the way, right now is about 5%. It's lower than the 7 So the NAACP sued. I do think this is also funny that uh, they're not challenging some of the other constitutional amendments. Do you notice that? Because we remember, remember, they were like, what, six of them? And then they launched this big Nick's All Six campaign, they had stickers and stuff. They were trying to get everybody to vote no on all six of the constitutional amendments, even though they, uh, they recognized and acknowledged, the Democrats did, that some of them weren't so bad. But Nick's rhymed with six, and that's how many... Uh, referenda there were and so they just you know sorry we're going to have to sacrifice some of the good ones just because we need the marketing right we needed the rhyming so right because like what are the they didn't, they're not suing over the constitutional amendment preserving the right to hunt and fish they're not challenging that one wouldn't that also be a, a, a an amendment that is unduly adopted by a usurper legislative body or how about the crime victims bill where they get notified and yeah, there was that the crime victims bill that we passed too and put into the constitution. And this is the other thing that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. We passed those, right? The general assembly put them to us and voters passed them. And remember they rejected some others. We rejected, I'm trying to remember what the other two were. And I, I just, Oh, one was the composition of the Board of Elections, was to make it uh, a less partisan body, to make it even. 
And um, Democrats were like, heck no, you can't do that. We get to control the Board of Elections. So we're not going to allow you guys to have a, a, a less partisan Board of Elections. So they shot that one down and they got judges to uh, agree with them. In 2020, the North Carolina Court of Appeals reinstated voter-approved state constitutional amendments to require voter ID and to cap the income tax rate. The majority opinion shredded this lower court ruling. It was done by a Wake County Superior Court judge named Brian Collins. This is the guy, Democrat, who has uh, uh, sided with this ridiculous argument that they're a usurper General Assembly. And the Court of Appeals said if there was... Uh, a loss of popular sovereignty by our General Assembly, then all the laws passed by that body would be subject to attack, thus creating chaos and confusion. This was uh, Court of Appeals Judge Chris Dillon. He said, one might argue that our current state constitution adopted in 1971 was void, as it was proposed by a General Assembly that had only one African-American member due to the impact of gerrymandering and voter suppression measures by Democrats. By Democrats. Democrats gerrymandered and engaged in voter suppression measures for over 100 years in North Carolina. They eventually lost that ability in 2010 when Republicans took over. Okay, so that would mean every single law that has been passed in the state is illegitimate because it was passed by a usurper legislative body. This is why the courts have struck down this ridiculous argument over and over and over again. But Brian Collins, Wake County Superior Court, a single county judge in Wake County, said, you know what? I think you guys are right. They judge shopped. They found one. Brian Collins was their guy. And he delivered for them. So now it's going to the state Supreme Court where they're going to try to kick two Republicans off the bench from hearing the case. I should say just the case, because apparently one of the remaining Democrats might be a little wobbly. Why? Well, he's up for reelection. And so he might not want to throw out a bunch of constitutional amendments on voter ID and anger a whole bunch of voters. News is next. Thank mm-hmm. you.